Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of High Time for Change. Uh, This is my addiction and recovery podcast. Uh, We also cover mental health, childhood trauma, and a host of other issues related to addiction. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say my disclaimer, as I will in front of everything I produce. I am not yet a licensed medical professional. I am a student, and I'm speaking from my heart, my experience, my education, my rehabilitation, the research I've done, and the experiences of those that are close to me. Any information that's presented on my podcast or any of the associated media platforms will be researched and verified. If you vibe with my advice, if I raise your awareness, that's wonderful. It is not, however, a substitute for professional help from a medical or psychiatric provider. If you need urgent professional help, please seek it. Thank you for your support. I'm just going to do a little brief interlude here um, for personal reasons. Not that everything I say isn't personal, but... um, Last night, my ex-husband and I got the news that my 13-year-old daughter, who was um, diagnosed with severe scoliosis about two years ago, and she's been using a bulky, custom-made, expensive brace that she does not like wearing, and she's very embarrassed of it. She's been wearing it for two years, and it's made no difference. Her case is so aggressive that it wasn't going to be remediated that way, and her spine is now at a 50% uh, curvature. So she's got to have a really big deal, uh, expensive, serious surgery around Christmas time. Uh, It's a spinal fusion where rods will be uh, placed on either side of her spine to correct her posture. So please pray for her um, while she processes this and gets ready for this. She's doing pretty cool, but, you know, this is way beyond her um, breadth of experience. She's had a lot of... um, medical problems due to being a large baby and kind of running out of room inside me because my pelvis does not come apart in my pregnancy. And we're just, we're so ready for her to stop suffering. She's got digestive issues too, and some depression issues. She's a great kid though. She's so super talented. So please pray for her, pray for me. And most of all, pray for my ex-husband. He's under a lot of stress. Um, he's got to handle the brunt of the practical stuff here because she's on his medical insurance. He's an amazing dad. He's got so much to do. He's got a stressful career. So please pray for him, um, getting through this and managing his stress. Um, thank you everyone for your good energy and good vibes. Um, I so appreciate you all. Let's go ahead and get to, um, the title and topic of this show. Um, the title of this show is from the beginning by the wonderful, the unique, Uh, inimitable Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Uh, This song came out in 1972 on their trilogy album. And the reason I chose this song in particular, there were a million songs that could have been contenders for this episode. But I decided on this one because it expresses a sort of neutral trauma. I know it seems like a total misnomer, uh, neutral trauma. But trauma expressions come in all different forces. There's extreme aggression, there's dissociation, I think that these lyrics kind of encapsulate just a matter of fact resignation and regret that a lot of us have and a lot of the memories that we think of at night when we're falling asleep. Um, A little lyric selection that grabs me. Uh, There may have been things I missed, but don't be unkind. It don't mean I'm blind. Perhaps there's, there's a thing or two. I think of lying in bed. Or that I shouldn't have said, but there it is. And again, I just think that's a really universal sentiment. 
you know, what's done is done, it's regretted, but it's taken its effects and what can we do? Let's start off here. This is going to be kind of a packed episode. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of anecdotes. And I'm just trying to put the pieces together for everybody. This is like a massive beehive of, of factors. And I'm just trying to lay it out, the facts for everyone, so we can begin to build on this. This is going to be the first in a series of my podcasts that I'm going to do on the issue of childhood trauma. This is part one. What is trauma? Any negative, unpleasant, or life-threatening experience. That's what trauma is. The sources can be other people, they can be accidents, illnesses, natural disasters, political unrest and upheaval. I know that's a big stressor for my parents. Um, They're a little bit older in years and they are extremely uh, immersed in MSNBC, the coverage of the political unrest, January 6th, all that. And it seems to present to them a, a fairly high level of stress. But, you know, that's that's something that impacts them and that they're very interested in. I can't say the same. I'm a lot more up on the current events uh, than I was the last couple of years. Basically, I didn't know too much unless it hit my Facebook feed. But um, I understand this is extremely concerning. And I definitely see why people are traumatized by the current conditions in the country. Um, there are various trauma responses to uh, traumatic stimuli. There are active responses which promote action. These are things like fight, flight, aggression, anger, anxiety. Uh, Conversely, there are also immobility responses. These promote inaction. These are things like freezing, fainting, dissociation, depression. Um, those Those are all things that we can react to trauma. Um... I'm going to go over briefly the types of stress that we endure as humans in this modern world. I mean, they, they are various, but they generally fit into these uh, three columns. The first type of stress is good stress. Good stress is challenging, but without being overwhelming. A great example uh, would be this podcast. Um, This is a lot of work. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of writing. It's a lot of recording and editing and, you know, all that. But I love it. It's a stress that I need. I need to get back in the structure of things. I need to have something I'm devoted to, to devote my time to. And I need it to be important and rather pressing because I'm getting reacclimated to uh, functional humanity, uh, basically. Um, The next kind of stress is tolerable stress. This stress is intense, but recovery occurs before permanent damage. A good example of this kind of stress would be uh, the death of a loved one, uh, Mike's death. Even though I'm, I know that every day since that happened, I and and definitely my mother-in-law and his other loved ones have just been, you know, tormented with the loss and the grief, and it pretty much plagues us on a daily. But I can tell you from my experience, um, a year's passage of time and all the work that I've done has made it a lot more manageable. Um, It's something that, you know, is deeply painful at first, but as we process through the trauma and let it go, it's a little bit farther away and it's easier for us to continue our daily lives, you know, without being plagued by constant grief and pain. Uh, The last kind of stress is tough and it's really, really prevalent in our modern world. Toxic stress. uh, This is severe, intense and chronic and the effects impact your relationships, your health, your productivity, your work performance, your judgment, your impulse control. 
A great example of this kind of toxic stress would be what I was going through and my mindset and my surroundings when I was with my toxic ex of a few years ago. Let's call him Dan. Uh, Dan was a different person than I normally consorted with in my life. He had a totally different background. Uh, He suffered from, you know, numerous outcroppings of a lot of childhood trauma. Uh, He was abused as a child. Um passed around caregivers, uh, didn't really have a whole lot of functional examples to follow in his extended family. And his responses to jealousy or anger or the slightest problem were extremely aggressive and really over the top. It definitely, definitely impacted my relationship, my marriage, my with my uh, kids, with my parents, with my coworkers. It impacted my health because I started abusing drugs again after a long period of sobriety and really, really got carried away because of the level of the trauma, how much it was making me slide quick. It was like the double black diamond of decline. It definitely impacted my productivity, my work performance. Not that I still didn't do a great job at my job because I took extreme pride in it and I was very good in it, but it would be impossible to say I devoted myself completely to um, my career. It was literally not possible at that time. There were so many contacts a day, like I'm talking police-involved contacts. There was so much dysfunction, stress, negativity, excessive contact, stalking. It just was an incredibly toxic stress environment, and it it deeply broke me down. Like, that's where it started as far as my deepest slide down the hill I've ever taken. Next, we're going to cover um, a concept based on a study, and it's called ACEs, and that stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. Uh, this was a study that was done by two pediatric doctors uh, based out of California. I think it's Kaiser Permanente, and I think it was 2014 this was done. They took a um, sample pool of 17,000 people, and they measured 10 major childhood traumas, and they picked those because they overwhelmingly came up as the most common childhood traumas, even though there are way more. So um, the 10 things that they measured by... Uh, The first is five personal traumas. There are three regarding abuse and there are two regarding neglect. There's physical abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's sexual abuse, physical neglect, and emotional neglect. Uh, There are also five family-related traumas. Having a parent or more than one parent addicted in some way, uh, witnessing mother being a victim of domestic violence, uh, having a family member in jail, family member significantly mentally ill, or the disappearance of a parent or parents, either through death, divorce, or abandonment. Um, As I said, there are a lot of other traumas that are, you know, outcroppings of that. These are certainly, you know, prevalent. They happen a lot, but they are a little bit below the um, food chain as far as the above. Other traumas could be watching siblings being abused, uh, losing a caregiver. Um, Here, if you if you had unstable caregiver unstable caregivers and an unstable home life and you were passed back and forth between grandma aunt mom's friend lady down the street someone from church you know grandpa then you as a young child do not form a normal attachment as you're supposed to be with the person who cares for your basic needs when you're small 
Um, It is totally natural to bond with your caregiver. You should not have your caregiver switched up or removed. That's extremely disturbing. And it often results in something called reactive attachment disorder. Um, This occurs when, you know, what I just described, all the inconsistent changing caregivers causes you to not form that bond. And consequently, anyone down the road in your life who makes you feel for the first time that internal ooey gooey feeling of love and acceptance and and worth that they've been craving all their life anyone who makes them feel that way they then form another abnormal attachment to it's dysfunctional it's too all-consuming it's becomes a very singular focus uh these type of people are prone to becoming stalkers um uh prone to having a lifelong pattern of volatile and quick to end relationships and it's it's a rabbit hole to be down um the next thing uh that can be another trauma deeply affecting you is homelessness uh i'm here to tell you that there's a recovery from homelessness getting off the street just as there is getting off the drugs um as much as uh you don't want to let them streets change you they do they absolutely do and it takes a recovery from being out there um, also, surviving a bad accident, illness, or natural disaster, seeing your father abused domestically, um, living in a war zone, or witnessing death or genocide, uh, experiencing extreme discrimination, uh, living in a violent area, living in extreme poverty, living in an isolated area. Those are all very valid and very common. Um, let's move on to kind of visit the effects of childhood trauma. Um, and there are so many and they make our lives so difficult. They make us have such disordered thinking and such dysfunctional relations with other people. It's just incredibly impactful. Um, there are attachment disorders, insecurity, uh, no trust with others, being clingy with romantic partners, easily stressed, and they use unhealthy coping mechanisms. Uh, constant worry, fear, and anxiety. And this is merely a nervous system response. This is your nervous system being on high alert after something negative happened. And they keep you in that state and keep playing it over and over and over again to better prepare you in the future. Um, Your trauma response continues and continues unless it meets resistance and is assured that danger has passed. So um, that's really difficult uh, to undergo until you get it healed. And some people never do. Uh, Then there's something that we've all heard of, but I think it's sort of mentioned a little bit too cavalierly uh, in in popular media and whatnot. It's PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I think we've all heard somebody be like, man, was he in NOM? Like he's pretty tripped out. Or I totally have PTSD from Starbucks for getting my cinnamon dolce syrup. I just have PTSD. I can't, I don't know what to do. So, um, no, it's not that it's not a joke. It's a very extreme condition resulting from multiple or severe traumas. And it also exists on a spectrum. It's not just you have it bad or you don't have it at all. Uh, if you have just one negative experience, you have PTSD of some degree. You might not have a whole bunch of really detrimental um, outward signs of it, but you do have it. And with certain stimuli, it will come back out. Um, resulting from PTSD are excessive fear, anxiety, especially in the abuser's presence or someone who resembles or sounds like the abuser. 
intrusive thoughts. And here I just have to go into a little personal thing just to give you an insight into that. Intrusive thoughts are just tormenting. Um, I developed this badly uh, after giving birth to my son. Um, we had been in a decently serious car accident when I was 30 weeks pregnant. And, you know, he he made it, I made it, but it put me in a bad mental place. And uh, after he was born, I got pretty severe PPD. And I've had postpartum depression with two of my kids, but my son's was different. Um, at the time that he was born, I had a group of women that I had, you know, interacted with and hung out with and, and exchanged knowledge and, and friendship with uh, other women that were pregnant at the same time as I. And we went through our pregnancies together and then went through having the babies. And uh, when our babies were approximately four months old, uh, one of the girls, her son, uh, died of SIDS. And it just rocked all of us totally. We've all got kids that were born four months ago. And it was just shocking. And this was their first and only child. It was just so, the tragedy was overwhelming. And uh, my friend and her husband got some really beautiful meaningful pictures taken of them with their deceased son and it's by a wonderful outfit called now i lay me down to sleep they take beautiful meaningful family pictures of people that have lost a baby and it didn't even look like he was deceased he was wearing his little tiny jeans and had bare feet and i'll never forget that and the looks on the parents faces i mean it could just be a family picture but the way they are looking down at him so sorrowfully you know exactly what you're looking at and when i first saw those pictures my mind grabbed that image and part of my depression was i felt so low and so lost and unworthy that i really felt like I needed to punish myself or at least show solidarity with this girl by continuing to, to grieve with her. And consequently, I forced myself to look at these pictures. Every single day, I would close my office door at lunch and I would just look at them and break down. I didn't feel it was right that my friend and her husband had to just be alone in that terrible grief. I wanted to do it with them to honor them. and I just got stuck on it. I saw this forever and ever and ever. It was... I don't even know how many months it was until it, it let up. But uh, after I had my third child, I also got postpartum depression and I uh, had a lesser version of intrusive thoughts. My beloved, beloved dog died instantly and suddenly on Halloween night, and it was incredibly traumatic. I had a newborn that was colicky, and her screaming uh, kept me focused that night. I had to feed my baby rather than you know, look at the horrible image of how he looked passed away. He must have had a stroke or something. He literally died instantly. But I was stuck on the image of him passed away for some time. I just don't remember how long this was, but I feel like it was like at least three or five months. It was a lot. So intrusive thoughts are a doozy. Um, you can also experience persistent memories, flashbacks, nightmares, um, physical stress responses like freezing, zoning out, rocking, bouncing your leg, fleeing, anxiety attacks, paranoia, uh, violence or aggression. And here I'm going to give you a little bit of a story that's a, a perfect uh, PTSD example. Um, last year, Hulu made an awesome series and the series was 
uh, chronicling a case in like the early 80s in Wiley, Texas of one housewife murdering another with an axe. It was an incredibly gory crime. There were an excessive number of deep disfiguring axe wounds and it was overkill and it was crazy. Like nobody could think of who would do this. I mean, an axe murder in a really small Christian tight knit, you know, this is a well-off community. This is where men were working at Texas Instruments back at that time and the area was growing and it was just a conservative town. It was just out of everyone's realm. Like this is crazy. Uh, Anyway, um, Candy Montgomery was the perpetrator and the woman that she ended up killing was the wife of a man that she had a brief affair with, but they still went to church together and they were, they were cool together. The wife was kind of a withdrawn, isolated person and they just weren't the same in personality, but they interacted a lot with, you know, their daughters were best friends, whatever. So Candy went to the wife's house one day to retrieve a bathing suit for the wife's daughter because uh, their daughters were best friends. They were going to go swimming. And when she entered the woman's house, uh, who let her in, the woman ambushed her and confronted her about the affair and basically went nuts, grabbed an axe and started coming for this woman. And just before she grabbed the axe and, and started advancing, you know, Candy Montgomery had been trying to explain and, and, you know, take down the obvious, really aggressive tension. And she was unable to. And the wife charged her with the axe. And all the while, uh, she was screaming and the wife was saying, And that repetitive sound triggered a really traumatic childhood memory in Candy Montgomery. Um, She was a child and her brother threw a large glass mason jar at a water pump and it shattered and her face was, uh, you know, hit by thick, sharp glass. Her eye was injured, her face was cut up and it was very traumatic for a little kid. And while she's screaming in pain and disoriented, her mother just was saying, So when hearing that years later in a high stress um, situation, Candy Montgomery snapped and she wrestled the axe from the wife and just brutally hacked her to death. I'm talking lots of cuts. She totally lost it. And then she kind of came back to herself and was just blown away by what she did. And she did start covering it up in a criminal way. But when she went on trial for this eventually, Um, She was found not guilty because of that defense. It was basically a PTSD insanity response, and she really could not be responsible for her behavior, according to the state of Texas. And a lot of people disagreed with that, but she got off, she moved away, and she started another life. But that's a really good example of a physically violent or aggressive uh, act as a result of PTSD. Um. We also suffer suffer critical and negative self-talk um, as a result of the emotional abuse or neglect that you, you know, suffered as a kid. Um, you end up repeating those insults as your own inner monologue. You know, I had a good male friend who definitely had a heroin problem, definitely had an attitude problem, had been in prison, but he was also kind of a good guy. He was very gregarious and he was short and you know built real nice strong got a you know 
raspy voice. He was like the little fighting Irish Notre Dame dude, literally. Uh, he was full of piss and vinegar. But, you know, we got to talking one day and, you know, I asked him, you know, what was bringing him here and, and what was the problem? I really cared about him. Like, I really wanted to help him. And he told me that when he was little, like, I'm talking three years old or something, his mom, his dad, you know, everyone in his immediate family told him that he ain't shit. He's never going to be shit. He was a mistake, blah, blah, blah. Then dad leaves. And so he's a piece of shit, according to mom, because he looks just like dad. He's going to amount to nothing like pile of shit like dad, blah, blah, blah. My friend told me that he literally repeats this to himself daily. And this was completely and totally making it impossible for him to love himself enough to even try to get help and move on. It was keeping him separated from his own son because he basically felt completely unworthy to be the child's father. His inner self-confidence and his self-image had been so beaten down before it ever even took shape that he was paralyzed. And, you know, he got clean for a short period of time. He was seeing his son again, which he was never really not allowed to see him. All he had to do was not be actually high when seeing the child. And that was totally an insurmountable task for him and a ton of addicts. Um, There are people who aren't allowed to see their kids and there are people who avoid their kids. And a lot of reasons why people avoid their kids are what I just talked about. Um, Two ways of addressing trauma are habituation and habituation is a nervous system response where um, your mind gets used to a certain stimuli and sees that the results of the given action person etc are not not harmful and don't go wrong time and time again and over a period of time PTSD decreases because the mind has been convinced that okay we've done the you know experiment time after time after time and we are safe you know a good example of this is i know a really fair number of men who uh tried really hard with a girl in the past maybe it's their baby mama maybe it's their first love whatever but they put their all into it and their all into it is not a lot and it's all pretty much dysfunctional so they don't know what they have to offer they don't know who they are they just know that they want someone they need someone they want to make a new family they want to change their circumstances so um you know they they attempt that um a lot of guys who did give their all to that one woman in the past and it didn't work out, that's put them in a total state of paralysis. Um, they are unable to see that, you know, a future person, like say they get in a relationship with another woman somehow, every single day they expect the other shoe to drop, you know, for someone to leave them, for someone to find out something about them that they think is lame and, and abandon them, you know, um, habituation is is where you finally realize over a course of time that a a given action or person is not actually as harmful as you expected and therefore you you relax your guard but um there are a lot of people who can't do this and don't have the ability to to discern that things actually are turning out differently now and it's kind of going to be smooth sailing from now on if they let it so um the the opposite of habituation is sensitization and that occurs when habituation is inhibited Uh, habituation is inhibited when the danger is too great when the person is experiencing intense fear and anxiety uh, your mind goes into overdrive to escape danger 
uh, try and find ways to escape danger. Your system cannot afford to habituate because there's too much threat, so it sensitizes. Uh, the person becomes hypersensitive to all similar stimuli. Um, you get flashbacks. Your mind still thinks you are in danger, and it keeps playing the trauma over and over because it wants to remind you so you'll be better prepared in the future when it will recur, and your mind thinks it will recur because it's not been told otherwise. Uh, trauma responses, like I just said, they occur because your body and brain have not been told and assured that, that they are out of danger. That is a proactive response. You have to actually go ahead and make an effort to do that. That's an intense part of healing, and that is something that a lot of people are not willing to undertake for quite a while, if ever. The only way to effectively heal trauma is to convince yourself, your mind, your body, that you are out of danger, things are safe, and you're on a different course. And that starts with acknowledging trauma and expressing it. Oh my God, there are a lot of people for whom this is absolutely insurmountably, unimaginably impossible. I have encountered brick walls when I'm trying to find out what ails somebody. They are just so deeply buried in denial and depression, no self-worth, no example to aspire to that they are completely paralyzed as far as um, starting to acknowledge and, and tell somebody what all happened and come face to face with it. Um, most of the reason that trauma keeps playing over and over in our head and in our life circumstances is because it hasn't been acknowledged or meaningfully processed. There's been no steps toward healing. So of course, um, our mind has devised a way to protect us and constantly puts us in a state of guard until we actively, actively try to address that. Um, here we're going to talk about uh, why is trauma in childhood so impactful? Uh, why do we retain what we retain? Why does it take such a deep hold? Um, trauma is especially damaging because children are really impressionable and older or stronger people use this to all sort of advantage. I mean, think about your child believing in Santa, the Easter Bunny, the Truth Fairy, or making up a contest where the winner goes to sleep first. Uh, the same methods are employed by pedophiles and other predatory people that are grooming children for untoward reasons. It's the exact same approach with different intentions. But the end result is we all know kids are impressionable. We all know that they're gullible and we know that they are, you know, in need of and used to being led. If you're in any position of superiority to them, they're going to take in everything that you give them. You know, a lot of kids are witnessing things that they are too adult for them, are too traumatic for them, are too confusing and out of context for them. And, you know, this, this really, really is retained in their little brains. Um, children's developing brains are growing so fast that they're extra susceptible to environmental changes. Um, this means that when something happens to change their environment and it's negative, their brains are progressing so fast that it's like that's imprinted and then it moves on and it's not addressed and it's just kind of stuck in your personal uh, roadmap, okay? Because their brains are developing so fast. Kids desperately need consistency in their care, their emotional interaction. Um, they need to feel like they have a general stability in their home life in order to have healthy brain development. There can't just be constant upheaval or, you know, 
it's it's basically imprinting trauma all over the map here 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 and then the brain just progresses and it's stuck in there um very few people who are uh, undergo a lot of childhood trauma uh, are reached out to to get the help they need or will reach out on their own or will have someone that cares for them do that that is something that a lot of people really do not make it farther than that um the lack of uh Adequate, consistent care, a consistent caregiver, emotionally responsive care, supportive, stable care. Um, this results in a highly reactive child who sensitizes any type of stress. Um, another issue that falls under this is parental alienation. Uh, parental alienation is one of the most profound traumas that any person can experience. Imagine the deep despair and the rootlessness and the worthlessness associated with the fact that the people who made you, like literally brought you onto this plane, you didn't ask to be born, but here you have been, you know, sentenced to this mortal coil. And it is a life sentence. I mean, the time can be hard time or it can be easy time, but you can't always control that. It's what you're born into. And it's also what you choose to create your reality with. Um, if you don't, if you have rejection by the people who actually made you, um, if they didn't even want you, or they found you beneath them or unworthy, and they rejected you, where will you get your sense of self without any closed support system or a village that's designed to raise and guide you and give you examples uh, to reflect your behavior, your back on you, and show you what successful habits are? Um, plus you know, it leaves them with a lifetime feeling of abandonment resulting in complete hopelessness and a lifetime of abnormal and dysfunctional and certainly toxic relationships with others. Parental alienation is something that I've seen incredibly widespread with um, the preponderance of the people that I lived and moved among. Now, granted, uh, the preponderance of these people are in their 20s and early 30s. They are younger people, but um, they're still deep in it. And it makes it very, very difficult for them to know that there is even anyone to reach out to. Uh, the biggies are all gone in their life. Who, sh who will care? Who should care? Um, well, not the people who should have. But there are people out there that will lift you up and become your support system when you do not have one. Um, childhood trauma causes dissociation, which is a phenomenon of detaching yourself mentally from your surroundings or your current conditions. Uh, if you've ever seen a kid cover their ears and going, no, 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 like just, you know, blocking it out. I've seen adults do that. I see a lot of people do it, but that's dissociation. Uh, they're blocking out what they're currently going through and it's a survival response. Their mind cannot handle the trauma and the stress of what they're encountering. So, there, you know, no, 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 just blocking it out. No ability to process it. Um, children are weak and they're helpless and they cannot defend themselves generally against anything that's perpetrated by an older or more powerful person. They have no fight and no flight. Uh, it's the survival mechanism of the nervous system to go into overdrive to increase the protection of the child long term, and it will continue to extend and overrun this overdrive and protection until it is assured on a deep level consistently that the danger has passed. Emotional suppression happens often in uh, families where the parents don't encourage emotional expression or worse. Uh, the parents uh, punish or discourage emotional 
expression. Therefore, the traumatized child never gets a chance to express or process or heal their issues. And the facts that the are that the parents, just due to proximity to kids, are primary sources of trauma. Uh, that's who's around you. And when they're not around you, that's a whole different host of issues. But parents are right there at the core. Um, it's very important for children to have adequate and consistent care, attachment and stress regulation, coping skills. Um, people need to be sort of deprogrammed from reactive attachment disorder. You know, if it's not attacked, their their, uh, disordered thinking as far as attachments to other people is just going to persist and get worse. Um, How many of you know someone who, like a guy, who calls every younger guy nephew, calls every, you know, vaguely older man unk, calls every parent-aged guy pops, calls any middle-aged to older woman mom, uh, calls any, you know, female child of a girlfriend or just a young girl daughter. And more often than not, this person has their own children that they've never fucked with. Um, This is a person who is desperately trying to create a new sense of family to uh, make up for what they lacked. It's a lifelong seeking that compels all of their relationships and it is a sometimes effective but often totally ineffective and just a mask um, to try to find acceptance and happiness. The problem is, uh, like I said, you're never ever going to get back now or then what you thought you missed out on. Just like I covered in my first episode, uh, attention from boys in high school was not a substitute for the love and, and acceptance and validation I felt I was lacking with my parents. It just, it doesn't work, you know, trauma and loss and, you know, the associated issues are like a black hole. You can throw shit in it all day long. It's never, never going to fit. It's never going to be enough. It's just, it's a few exercising futility. Um, I, I've had random periods of extreme, uh, religiosity in my life. Um, I had a very good friend from a young age who was, who grew up to be a pastor, was very evangelical and tried very hard to save me for many years. Um, consequently I went to some church camp getaways and there were some positive parts of that. And there were some negative parts of that, like sexual fucking assault at the age of 13, but we'll cover that later. Um, they did a little kind of a morality play. Um, in this play, there was a girl and her heart was, um, represented by an unpeeled orange, you know, like the piece of fruit. Um, she went through her life, um, finding various things to quote, fill the void. You know, she had relationships that broke her heart. She was disappointed by people. She tried drugs. And every time they listed something the girl tried, they took a big, like a railroad tie and just stabbed through it. And the orange was pretty disfigured. It was a mushy mess when everything that was violated was done. Um, Then, you know, this is supposed to be about Jesus, but it could be about anything really. But in this case, it was about Jesus. Jesus comes and he gives the girl a piece of foil. The girl wraps up her, you know, completely mutilated orange pulp and wraps it in the foil. And then voila, sleight of hand, the orange is completely and totally whole again. 
So that's something that a lot of people go through. We are completely not in touch with the vastness of our own void. The more of these ACEs that you have, the, the bigger the void, the blacker the void, the blacker the hole, the, the you know widespread, the galaxies, the isolation. It's just a very prevalent consumptive thing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and just put a little bit of statistics in here because I came across this in my research and it blew my mind. Um, this is a sample county in Ohio. Uh, in this sample county, 67% of people have at least one ACE, adverse childhood experience, and on down the line to 14% have four or more ACEs. Now this one, this is the kicker, man. The estimated average lifetime cost per victim of non-fatal child maltreatment includes $32,000 in childhood health care costs, $10,000 in adult medical costs, $144,000 in productivity losses, and mine are way higher than that, between squandered high tuitions, apartments, you know, cars that some piece of shit boyfriend of mine drove crazy and put burn holes in, um, productivity at my job lost, um, how much money I've wasted. My dear parents have cleaned up a disappointingly and shockingly long parade of expensive messes for me. And they continue to do so, but in a more constructive way. There are big time rules and guidelines on what I have to do to get X. The point is, after all my failures and all of their wasted investments, they're still behind me and they're still willing to invest in me. I'm going back to college in a couple months at 46 years old. Even though I fucked off two different colleges, I've done the most, I've done all this and all that, they're still willing to invest in me so that I can become a functional, self-supporting, contributory adult in this country and in this world. And that's because... Contrary to the bullshit that we tell ourselves when we're out there floating, you know, this is my people's, they got my back, and you know, loyalty real, 100% bullshit, bro. My home team, which you should never turn on your home team, your home team doesn't have to be your nuclear family. It's people who legitimately care and support you and believe in you. This is not fellow addicts. They don't give a fuck about your life or your betterment. In fact, when you want to better yourself, you're a big fucking loser. And that's because they don't want to examine the fact that they're still doing something super detrimental and they can't get out and you did. And it's just hatred and hating. It's very common response. But um, when you're struggling Think back to the people who have done shit for you without it having to be a trade, without wanting money, without wanting a favor, without deceiving you outright. And you're going to hearken back to the same people that have always been there. Um, my parents, my younger sister, my ex-husband, my three kids, my boyfriend, his son, and my extended family, and a few family friends. Those are the same people who have always supported me. And they're the same people that I avoided like the plague and disappeared from when I knew I was doing wrong. If I had just been a little bit further in my development, a little bit more ready to end this fucking madness, I could have reached out to them years ago. If I had been honest with my parents about what was going on with my toxic ex and the legal problems I was having, the financial problems I was getting into, we could have ground this to a, a halt a long time ago. But at that time when my life started to do the fucking triple black diamond of decline uh, that was sort of coincident with this person reentering my life, 
my mind wasn't there. When I was given that, you know, bad medication cocktail that threw me into total mania and impulsivity and, you know, doesn't give a fuck about consequences, that was that was just too much for me to do at that time. I was out of control. My thinking was too disordered. So I was unable to reach out to my true support system then. But since then, when the time is right, um, I have I have people in my life that I love and that I feel care about me. My mother-in-law, I know cares about me and loves me. We had a way different relationship when her son was alive, but I'm really grateful for what we have now. So... Um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up for today, but please stay tuned for my next episode, which is going to be entitled Mercy Street after the haunting song by Peter Gabriel. In this episode, we will explore childhood trauma further as far as approaching it, deciding to feel the feelings and let it out, attacking the source of the trauma, and then the aftermath of that when you're free of your burden. So um, please stay tuned for that. We're going to have a couple of shows in this series. There's so much to cover and I'm trying to do it in order, but you know, there's a lot of ground to cover. So please stay tuned for parts two, three, and maybe even four. Um, Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you found something valuable today. Um, Be well, be healthy, love your people and love yourself today. Um, Again, thanks for joining me. See you next time. Bye-bye.